0: The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to him in parables. Though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, That's one of those songs that gives me goosebumps. Um... A great reminder to us to be waiting on the Lord that his word is the thing that nourishes and sustains us. That's the theme we're going to be thinking about uh, through this term as we look at the Gospel of Matthew in this new series. And as we begin and as we look at that passage, quite a famous passage, the parable of the sower, I want to ask a question. Are you optimistic? Are you optimistic about the world and where it's going? where it's headed. Are you optimistic? Uh, I was watching a documentary last night, The Social Dilemma. Some of you may have seen it. A lot of people there, not optimistic at all about the world and where it's going. And a big reason why is they've spotted that in our world today, there is increased polarization. That means increased division in society, two groups of people who are basically just shouting at each other, Uh, As that picture makes clear, people uh, divide into different opinions and then they don't talk or discuss them or or come to some sort of compromise. They just shout at each other, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. Polarization, division. You probably don't need too much convincing that that is around in the world today. You see it uh, during uh, elections and election campaigns. We had a referendum that was pretty uh, divided and the consequences of that division uh, go on. Uh, Even this week, uh, when it came to the coverage of the death of Prince Philip, Uh, plenty of glowing tributes uh, and things like that on the television, but over 100,000 complaints as well about the coverage. Uh, And Paul, our rector, sent me this tweet, Uh, I think we've reached peak Britishness, 116 people wrote to the BBC over the weekend to complain, it was making it too easy to complain. I don't know if that's true or not, it just comes from a tweet, but it sounds true, doesn't it? Almost anything we do, we can whip up a storm and a controversy and people gather into groups and shout at one another. Are you optimistic in the face of that? And what about when it comes to the gospel and Jesus? Because it seems that he gets wrapped up in this controversy and this polarization as well, right? So on Easter Day, Uh, The president of the Humanist Society tweeted out to say how silly it was to believe that anybody could rise from the dead. Underneath her tweet, there were over 6,000 comments. Uh, I didn't scroll through all of them. Uh, I started to scroll through a few at the top. They seemed to be split about 50-50. Half of them saying, yeah, well done, yeah, well done for saying that and having a go at Christianity. And the other half saying, how dare you have a go at Christianity? How dare you disrespect other people's beliefs? Even Jesus, even the gospel polarization happens, division happens. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, can I be optimistic about the gospel? Can I be optimistic about where Christianity's going? I mean, if Jesus is everything we claim, you know, over Easter we said he was the one who saves from sin. He's the risen king who conquers death. If he is all that, why doesn't everyone believe in him? Well, if you feel like that, or you've ever felt like that, can I say you're in good company? Because that's exactly the way the disciples would have felt as we reached Matthew 13. We're in a new series called Responding to the King, looking at different responses uh, to Jesus from Matthew chapter 13 to to 15. Uh, But it might be helpful as we come into this series, just to do a bit of backstory. So you'll see here, uh, there's a a little summary of, of some of Matthew's gospel. Matthew is... Uh, organized around five blocks of teaching that Jesus gives. Uh, These are five blocks of teaching that keep the story pushed along. Uh, So the first one there, you might know the famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, That's where Jesus introduces his kingdom and what it's all about. Uh, And around the Sermon on the Mount, he gathers sorts of disciples, uh, disciples around him, people who start following him. And then the second block of teaching is in chapter 10, and it's teaching on mission. So these people who've started to follow Jesus, Jesus says, right, now I want you to do something. I want you to take this good news about God's kingdom that I've been telling you about, and I want you to go and tell other people. And then after chapter 10, you get chapter 11 and 12, where the disciples go and do that, but they encounter opposition. Not everybody, it seems, wants to hear about this Jesus and his kingdom. Some people are actively hostile to it. And so the disciples are coming back, sort of scratching their heads, going, but we, we thought you were the Christ. We, we thought... We thought your kingdom, you were bringing God's kingdom. What's what's going on, Jesus? Why is everyone not believing in you? And chapter 13 begins that same day. So right after the events of chapter 11 and chapter 12, Jesus said, right, come to me. I'm going to explain. And he explains with a series of parables what his kingdom's all about, how people respond to it, how it grows. Uh, and the first of those parables, maybe the most famous of them all, is the one we just heard read, the parable uh, of the sower. And at the end of that parable, of course, as, as Pete was explaining, we, we saw it read out for us, and dramatically so, with props and everything. I can't compete with that, really. So, uh, but we got, we got the story. We, we maybe know the story. And at the end, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them here, You're going to need to listen, listen carefully to what I'm teaching you, says Jesus, to the crowd and later to his disciples. And as we get there, just look at how the disciples respond to the story. So verse 10, after Jesus has told the story and says, you need to listen, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Big question, why does Jesus speak in parables? Uh, let me translate that. The disciples are really saying, Jesus, why are you speaking in riddles? And maybe that's um, something you've not, you've not really read it like that before, because maybe, like me, uh, growing up in lots of different, a few different churches, you'd heard something a bit like this. See, Jesus taught in parables because they were simple stories about everyday things that people could understand. He's just connecting with their everyday experiences and they're really straightforward stories with a simple message. I'd heard that growing up and uh, since then. Maybe you've heard that as well. But why does Jesus say he's teaching in parables? Verse 13, Jesus speaking, this is why I speak to them in parables, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. It's actually the exact opposite of what I thought. (laughs) Jesus doesn't speak in parables because they're stories with a simple meaning that are easy to understand. In fact, they're quite the opposite. For a lot of people, They mean they don't understand. They're unclear stories. And I think we miss that because we're just so familiar with the story. We've heard it so many times before. And we forget that reading the Bible, we're in the privileged position of having Jesus explain it to us at the end of the passage. If you didn't have that explanation, maybe we wouldn't think it was such a straightforward, easy story. If you were just left at the end of verse 9, like the crowd was, it might not be quite so clear what the story was about. So why does Jesus speak in parables? Why, what, what is he doing? I think what we're seeing here is Jesus is saying, look, these parables, they act like a filter. Those who are hungry for my word and, and hungry for my kingdom, what they do is they come to me, just like the disciples do. So he says to them, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. The disciples come to Jesus and they get the privilege of him unpacking what the parable means. And, and Jesus says, uh, that's how the parables work. If you're hungry and you come to me, you get the secrets revealed to you. But for lots of people who just hear it and go, yeah, nice story, interesting, whatever, and they don't come to Jesus to understand, well, verse 12, whoever has will be given more, that's more knowledge, more insight of God's kingdom, they will have an Abundance. Whoever does not have, if they're not hungry for God's Word, if they're not hungry for God's kingdom, even what they have will be taken from them. They they won't gain anything. They won't gain any knowledge or any insight. You see, the parables act as a filter. Uh, They filter out those who aren't that bothered from those who are really hungry for God's Word and really hungry for Jesus to teach them about his kingdom, and they are drawn to him like the disciples are. Now, Worth pointing out that uh, we heard the end of Matthew's Gospel read at the start, where Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. So it's not like these two groups are closed and forever fixed. There are people who might be in the outside group who eventually will be brought in and made into disciples. And remember, one of the disciples who gets the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is Judas, who later moves out of the group. So they're not like fully fixed, finalized groups. You can move between them. But nonetheless, the parables act as a filter. Those who want to know, come to Jesus to understand more. And that's the way God and his kingdom and growing in his kingdom works. It's not something you can just download a manual or click on a link to find the information you need. Jesus wants us to come to him for insights, for understanding. He wants a real relationship with us, and the parables are a great way to draw in The hungry. Why did Jesus teach in parables? To, to, To filter out those who are really hungry for him and his kingdom and his words and those who don't. And of course, he says to the disciples in verse 16, Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your ears because they hear. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. There's a great blessing when we're drawn in to Jesus. When we come through that filter. Okay, so that's the general point, uh, and that divides people into two groups, the, the, those who are hungry for God's kingdom, and those who aren't. So what does this parable mean? Uh, and we get the explanation in the end of the passage from verse 18 onwards. Uh, what does this parable uh, mean? And I think there are two main points, two main points. The first one is this, there is a mixed response. And we we saw that uh, acted out for us with all the different kinds of growth that you saw. Um, First, there's the the people who are uh, the seed sown on the path that is taken away immediately. Maybe you've seen that in your experience. You try and talk to someone about Jesus, about the gospel, and they just make a joke. They don't want to hear. They change the subject. That's the seed sown on the path. Uh, Or there's the seed sown on rocky soil. These are people who seem to uh, love it immediately and want to come to everything that church offers for for a short time. But they don't last. Six months, 12 months later, a couple of years later, whatever it is, uh, they've stopped coming altogether because uh, they didn't realize really what they were signing up to. Their, Their roots hadn't gone down deep enough into what the gospel was and how it was a call on their whole life. And when they suddenly saw that, hey, it might mean some difficulties, no, nah, I don't want that. Or, or there's the seed sown amongst thorns. Uh, and this is where the worries of the world and the, the deceitfulness of wealth, uh, it's a great phrase, isn't it? Choke the words. You've got to be careful here. Uh, the Bible never says that there's anything uh, wrong with uh, taking uh, living your life and, and uh, or, or having money those things in and of themselves aren't wrong but there's a difference between you know working hard and, and trying to make life work as well as you can and being so obsessed with those things that you don't leave room for Jesus and his words so our, our platformers for example it's right to work for uh, exams or for school and want to take the next step onto university. But it wouldn't be right to be so obsessed with those things that you don't leave any room for Jesus and his words. You see, that's choking the words. It's fine to think about what job you're going to do. It's not wrong to go for a promotion or anything like that. But these things can become wrong if our thoughts and feelings about them are so filling our head, so filling our heart, that we're not leaving any room for Jesus and his word in those places. It's not wrong to have a nice house and decorate it well, but if we become so obsessed with those things, that our eyes and our hearts are taken off Jesus and his words, then it becomes a problem. Well, we might have seen all those types of responses to Jesus and his words in our time in church I think I have seen them all and there is a mixed response and straight away there Jesus is managing the expectations of his disciples yeah you've experienced opposition when you went and took the gospel out yeah that happens but and I think this is actually Jesus main point is verse 23. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding sixty, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Because Jesus is quoted from Isaiah. And when Isaiah was sent on his mission by God, he was told, no one will respond. They will always be deaf to what you're saying. But Jesus says, I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven and it's not going to be that way in my kingdom. Yes, there'll be mixed response. Yes, not everyone will respond positively. But there will be a positive response. The gospel will grow. And it's, you know, 60, 30, 100 times what we're saying. They are um, fairly ordinary yields. 30 would be a fairly small year. Uh, 60 would be a, a good year. And 100 would be like a, a bumper harvest. But, but They'd be, you know, expected. It's ordinary and it's organic growth that Jesus is talking about. It doesn't necessarily feel like something extraordinary is happening, but it multiplies. Generation by generation by generation, it multiplies. And in the end, it amounts to something huge. Here's a statistic I found this week, and it really surprised me. It shouldn't have done, but it did. And I don't know if it will surprise you or not. In 1910, there were 600 million professing Christians on planet Earth. 600 million. In 2010, there were 2.2 billion. When has the church grown the most? You probably think, oh, the first few centuries. It's not true, actually. It's the last 100 years or so. Lots of reason for that, missionaries who go out and take the gospel, which is why it's a good thing as a church we support mission partners, Uh, people just ordinarily getting on with with life, trying to uh, put new life into churches, which is why it's great that we're doing a, a revitalization, but here's the thing, for most of these people, whether they're in this country or they've gone abroad, it probably didn't feel like huge worldwide revival was happening. I don't know if you think you've been living through the fastest growth in the history of the church worldwide, but you have. It's ordinary, it's organic, but it's unstoppable, says Jesus. It is growing. And so don't be put off by the mixed response you might receive. Well, how are we to apply uh, this passage? There's some... Thinking we could ponder for ourselves on our own hearts, uh, what kind of soil are we? You, you could apply the, the passage like that. Do, do we see weeds in our lives, things that might choke Jesus' word out? That's a perfectly good question to ask. How deep have my roots gone? Am I really prepared when hardship or persecution come? They're, they're good questions. But I don't think that's why Matthew's written it. Uh, remember, the context is the disciples have just been out on mission and faced opposition. I think what Jesus wants them to know is two things. Be realistic, but be confident. Be optimistic. If you're one of our young people here, you might be wondering what kind of world you're growing up in and the polarization. But if you're a a Christian, you can be confident. Yes, be realistic. Not everyone you talk to about Jesus is immediately going to say, tell me more but some will. And the gospel will grow. We're not to expect everybody to immediately drop everything and want to be Christians, but Jesus says it will grow. We can be confident of that as Christian believers. And I think those two things, be realistic but be confident, are so helpful. Because in my life, can I say my my evangelism struggle is this. It's not between doing evangelism well or doing it badly. It's between doing evangelism at all or not bothering. That that's the real struggle. Come on, let's be honest. And why do we not want to even start doing it? Maybe I'll mess it up. Maybe I'll do it wrong. Maybe, oh what if they don't like it? What if they And here Jesus says, first of all, it's like sowing seed. There's lots of jobs on a farm I would have not the first clue how to begin doing, but I think I could sow seed. You don't need special tricks and techniques to do evangelism. You just need to tell your story. Uh, You just need to say why Jesus matters to you. (laughs) And if they want to know more, you can say, well, why not come to church? You can find out more. It's not some complicated technical thing. And when somebody rejects it, you're not to go, oh, I must have done it wrong. No. Be realistic. Jesus says there'll be lots of different responses. But be optimistic. Be confident. Because the message of his kingdom is powerful and it will grow. Whatever your context is, I think that's a helpful message. As we go from this place to whatever we go to, Whatever connections, whatever people we're meeting through the week. That we go as disciples. With a mission. That we can be confident and realistic about. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to hear another song. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and his words. Thank you that it is powerful and it does grow. It produces a crop. It's life-giving and fruitful. Help us to be those who hear and understand the word. And help us to be confident in that same word as we take it out. Help us to be realistic, but help us to be optimistic too. Thank you for Jesus and his helpful teaching which sets our expectations and gives us the courage to go forward with the mission he's given us. And we thank you for all these things in his name. Amen.